Amen. You guys can have a seat. How are we feeling this morning? We feeling cool? Feeling hot? Feeling good? Y'all look good. Um, my name is Jake Peterman. I am uh, just a covenant member here at the church. It's a, always a privilege to come and preach God's Word uh, this morning. Thank you for coming to worship with us. Um, you have found uh, a Legacy Church. This is it. Um, so thank you for, for being with us. I'm gonna, before I get started, I want to just do a shameless plug for community groups. Um, I know that the fall is starting up here, and, and you maybe have come to the church a couple times and been uh, kind of dipping your toes into the water, trying to figure out if you like this place or if you like us or not. And um, community groups really are something that holds the church together. I feel like it's kind of the glue, it's the spine, it's the backbone that holds our, our church uh, here together. And, and me and my wife benefit, benefited greatly from it. Um, you, you're able to go deeper into relationships, you're able to live life with one another, uh, as well as just encourage and challenge and get deeper accountability. And uh, I would encourage you guys, if you're not uh, in a part of a community group, I would, I would ask you to take a look at it. I think it's a, I think it's a, good, a good idea. Um, so, uh, and we may have a, a little bit of a profiling of community groups here in a couple weeks as far as the church. But um, anyway, well, it's good to be with you. About three weeks ago, about four weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go to an old football banquet. I don't know if you guys have ever played football or if you've um, been a part of anything like that. It's kind of like an old fraternity party or fraternity banquet um, or a sorority banquet. And I had the opportunity when I was in uh, 2005, whenever I was in high school, my senior year, I, I played on a high school football team that won a state championship. Uh, it was really kind of a highlight of my early years in life. And, and I, 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 we had a banquet this three or four weeks ago to, to commemorate our team as well as my high school football coach was retiring. And uh, he was an incredible man, incredible legacy that he left, and, and uh, I felt uh, obligated to go. I, I uh, was uh, really, I really loved my high school years. And anyways, at the banquet, the I, uh, I, first time I saw him, I saw the man in probably, tw well, it's probably been 15, since I left college, or since I left high school, what is it, 15 years ago. And I remember uh, getting there, and I was like, well, it's probably just going to be 20, 30, maybe you know, 30 people there, well, there was 50 of his former football players show up, and we're, we're talking and, and hanging out, and, and they get up and, you know, present a plaque to him, and, and um, then they had an open mic time where people got to speak about what this man meant to him, or meant to us, and for Coach Eldridge, for me, he was an incredible communicator, I, I, no doubt one of the best communicators I've ever, I've ever been around. He had the ability to take some really complex con, uh, concept and communicate it in a really simple way. I think that's the essence of a good teacher. I think that's the essence of a good communicator, someone that can touch the heart and engage students and, and, and peers to be able to take something complex and make it simple. He was also an incredible motivator. Um, he got more out of me than I ever thought that I could get out. There was one day I was coming off the football field after practice, and I was a captain my senior year, and he, he put his arm around me and said, Jake, you think we're, 
you think we're ready for the game on Friday? And I knew there was something behind it. And I, I said, yeah, I think, we're, I think we're ready. What do you think? And he said, yeah, I think everybody's ready but you. And I was like, and he just walked off. And I was like, oh, shoot. So I, I had the best practice that next day. I, I killed it. But Coach Eldridge had this impact on me, and he had this belief in me that I don't think I ever saw before. I don't think I've ever felt before by anybody else. He kind of pumped belief in me, pumped his confidence in me. Well, at the banquet during this open mic time, I've never seen anything like it. Man after man, he coached 14 years, man after man got up and just talked about their love for this guy, how his principles during football practice, his philosophies had carried over to life and to business and to raising children, and to just everyday life. And I got up and, and talked about him, and, and it, he was so humble and gave me a real respect for educators, to be frank. I was like, oh, my gosh, this, this guy has literally poured his life out to coach football, and he's affected all these men and all of their families and all of their children and even my family, and even my children. I think we think about mentors, coaches, and even pastors in your life. They, in the moment, you may not feel like, it may feel like it hurts to be coached or mentored by them. But I believe it's something that sustains us. I oftentimes sit down and I take inventory of my life. I don't know why I do this. I, 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 I'm, I think I'm kind of like John Mayer in that song, you know, uh, am I living it right? You know, am I living it right? Am I living this life right? You know, I'm thinking, man, is, am I living this life correctly? And what has sustained me and how did I get here? I know principles have, for sure, principles and Christian principles, yes, but I think I'd, I'd really need to give credit to some of these coaches and these mentors and definitely the pastors and the disciple makers in my life. Today we're going to talk about that and we're going to ask that question, do I really need a pastor in my life? Let me pray for us and we'll jump in. Lord, you are good to us. You are good to us, Lord, and we... We know you're king, God, and we ask this morning that you would come and just commune with us for a little while. Lord, I, I'm not a professional by no means. God, I just need you to come and help. Help my words this morning. Help us to know you, God. And in Jesus' name, amen. Well, our passage this morning, Acts 20, verse 17 through 38, it's a longer one. Every time I preach, I feel like I have a, uh, you know, full chapter to read, and I'm not the best reader in the world, so, uh, so you know, bear with me. But this message is, a, is an incredible, mo an emotional one. It's very sobering. Uh, if, you, um, if you guys study Paul and his, Paul's letters, this is one of the uh, most impactful speeches in all of Acts. It is the crux of the entire book. And so it, 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 it also kind of 
breaks into a gateway of the rest of Paul's life, okay? It, it kind of paves the way of what's about to happen next. And it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting passage, and I'm only going to be skimming the, the top here. I'm just going to get the foam off the top of the latte here. I'm not getting the whole latte, all right? So I think you, need to, you guys need to go deeper uh, in this in your own personal study, but I think we've got that up, and I'll, I'll read it for you guys this morning. It says this, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, this is Paul, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing, that, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that, that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you, none among you whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pray caref pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of, of his grace, which is able to build you, you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to the necessities and to those who were with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he, him, he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. But that's powerful. I don't know if I can top it. Uh, it does a lot of the heavy lifting for us. As far as the, and you saw it, as far as the, the context of the passage goes, it's just very emotional. Uh, there's a lot to it. There's a lot going on. And understanding what uh, the intent of the message is and what's happened prior to this and what's happened after this kind of colors this with a whole other light. It helps us understand it even, even better. Okay, so... 
Paul is a missionary. If you guys are new to the gospel or new to church or new to to Christianity, Paul was a disciple-making professional church planter. He would go around a lot of these Mediterranean uh, cities, whether it be in Jordan or Israel or around the Mediterranean or even in Western Europe or uh, uh, um, Western Asia and southern parts of Europe, and he would plant churches by sharing the gospel, raising them up in their faith, and then he would uh, 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 bring this church together, and he would plant this church in order for their believers to thrive and grow in cities. That was his job. And prior to this, he'd been really on, I think, three different, no, two different missionary journeys, and he'd been kind of all around Macedonia, Greece, and Western Asia. And he's coming to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, Ephesians, I don't know if you guys, the, the book of Ephesians was written to the, the church of Ephesus. Ephesus was a commercial port city right along the Mediterranean. It would be in modern-day Turkey, if you guys know your Mediterranean geography. Okay, so it's, it, it's a commercial port city, very influential city. Not only is it influential in commercial trade, but it's very influential in Christianity. It's, it's really kind of a hub, a hub spot for Paul's ministry. It, uh, out of uh, Ephesus, the church of Thessalonica, Thessalonians, was planted. Uh, Colossae, Colossians, the church of Colossae was, was uh, planted, uh, both, out of this church, uh, both out of this church in, in Ephesus. So he goes back here and he says, you know what, and he's thinking about the strategy of the church and how the church is going to go into this Mediterranean world here. And he says, he says man, I'm going, to go back to, I'm going to go back to my guys in Ephesus. And I'm, going to, and I'm going to put on these heavy admonishments. So that's what's happened prior to this. What happens after? Well, hindsight, Paul don't know this, but hindsight, as we, lead, as we read on through this, he goes to Jerusalem and he gets put in prison. And he goes to Rome he gets put in prison, lives out his days, he dies. There's verse, you know, we're in chapter 20 here. Acts is only 28 chapters, so there's not much left. So this is kind of his farewell legacy banquet, his legacy speech. And he's got his guys together to talk about this. As we look at the speech and the structure of the speech and how it's created, it, there, it's really created and built a lot like his letters, the letter to the Philippians or to the Colossians or the Thessalonians. It's written, and they're all kind of structured the same. This speech is no different. It, it starts out as Paul kind of holds up his ministry and says, hey, look at my example. And then he says, then he starts speaking to his future prospects, people who are in the church. And he starts talking about, he warns people of of the heresies that are going to come in, the potential heresies. And then fourth, he encourages the correct attitude towards Jesus, the gospel, and the world of material goods. Okay, so he focuses on these three things. And whenever he comes in and gives these speeches to write these letters, they're to the elders. And this is no different. He's got these Ephesian elders in here. He's saying, come in close. I want to tell you something. Elder, the, the word elder, so that's who's writing this thing, who's saying this speech. Now, who is receiving it? It's these, these Ephesian elders. An elder in the Greek means presbyteros. 
Yeah, you, you heard it right. It's presbyteros. It's like Presbyterian. Presbyterian church apparently ripped that, uh, ripped that Greek word off, which is fine. Um, but it's, uh, it means elder. And an elder in the Greek means an officer or someone who carries out the work of ministry. It's kind of like the church's hitman, if you want to think about it like that. But they don't do what normal hitmen do. They carry out ministry. Okay, and so this idea of elders uh, are the ones who carry out the ministry, and, he, and, and Paul is going to give this speech to these elders. So it carries a little bit different weight and tone to it. And so as I'm saying this here, I think this is a great role description, a great breakdown, a great job description of our elders how they should live and how you should live if you want to pursue that. It's a great noble pursuit. It's, I think, that leadership, um, we need to have that leadership. And I I think if you want to live for Christ and lead the church, this is a great job description. And I think it's a great just description in general of how to live for Christ. If you're taking notes, and if you take, like taking notes, the speech breaks down like this. Number th- there's three real three parts, and that's kind of the, when we jump into this, is what, kind of how we're going to lay it out. So number one is observing Paul's example. Number two, your life in perspective. And then number three, live this way. Okay, so it's really uh, largely about how you conduct your behavior. Now, as we think about all this, you could easily get in the mindset, well, this is a bunch of lists and legalistic, and how am I going to do all this? Well, as you can see, without the gospel empowering this, then it's not going to burn. This is just kindling around the fire of the gospel. It's just, it's just the, the fuel. This is, this is the holiness that comes as a knee-jerk reaction by our hearts being in love with Jesus. Okay, and so let's look at the first one here, Acts 20, 19 through 23. uh, Acts 19 through 23, we we see the first thing that Paul holds his, um, this, this officer of an elder to, serving the Lord with all humility, even through trials. Now, if you know anything about Paul, Paul knew about trials, Paul was, uh, was a missionary. He was kind of a nomad. He was run, running around like crazy. I think 2 Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28 kind of describes his trials. Let me read that to you. He says, I am, he says, I am, uh, am I talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less, less one. That means he was beaten with a whip, okay? Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea. Uh, dangers from false brothers, in, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and, th- hunger and thirst, often without food, and, and in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me and my anxiety for all the churches. Daggum, Paul. Why don't you get a life, brother? It's like, 
I look at this list and I'm like inspired, but I'm also like convicted. My life don't look like that. My trials are usually don't hit your sister. Uh, gosh, uh, uh, this, you know, living out this marriage for till the end of my life, well, that's, this is going to be difficult. I might better just go day at a time here. Well, financially, what, what's the bank account look like? Career-wise, what do I want to do next? Or do I like what I do right now? Uh, oh, yeah, I've got to mow the yard. <laughs> I mean, it's all these small little trials. And all on top of that, I think about, well, um, it, it, oh, I've got to try to do ministry. And I've got to live for, for Jesus in some way. And I, I, I look at his life, and I look at mine, and I'm convicted. Uh, I think, well, ministry, yeah, that's going to be like a secondary thing for me. But I think he says this here, and I think he says it as a representation of his life because pastors and Christians should be engaged in the mission, should be engaged in the ministry, should be engaged in some way in giving their life to others. See, the, the funny thing about trials, and the funny thing about trials in my own life, when, whenever I focus, about, focus on my trials in specific and just focus on me, 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 the trial gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But somehow, that trial melts away whenever I start thinking about others. I start thinking about someone else. Here he says that, he says, serve the Lord with all humility in trials. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says this, and I think it's a great definition of humility. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's this idea of saying, I'm not less than, but my needs are less than. I want to think about others more significant than myself. It is going back to this, even verse, you know, verse 28 we're about to look at in a second, this idea that my life is not as precious as I think it is. Someone else's life is. It's putting significance and value on other people. A pastor should do that. Don't you want your pastor to do that? Pastor to care about you? I think so. It's also putting your life into perspective in the whole grand scheme of things. uh, C.J. Mahaney has a great definition of humility as well. It says, humility is honestly assessing yourselves, uh, honestly assessing assessing yourself in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Truly understanding that even through a trial, whatever you're hoping in, whatever you think the outcome should be, you don't deserve it. The, the life that you hope to have, man, your sinfulness, should not, you, you should not uh, be merited to anything. But God's grace has given you all things. And you should be thankful for that. When you put that life into perspective, your trial begins to melt. 
And he calls these Ephesians elders to live in their trials with humility. One way you think about share, one way you, you also think about others more than yourself is you share the gospel with them. The second thing he kind of admonishes these elders to do is, says, and really kind of an example of himself, he says, I did not shrink from declaring the gospel to you, to anyone. Whenever I was uh, um, in college, there was a saying that came out, um, and there was a lot of people in our college ministry, we were a lot of our college ministry got, got fired up about it. And I, I think I did too, but uh, it, it was uh, share, the, share the gospel always and sometimes use words. And uh, I think uh, as I look and I analyze that little Christianese type of phrase, it's, it's half right, yeah? But I think it's clear here and throughout the Bible that God wants us to open our mouths and talk. Now, sharing the gospel with others is a daunting task. It, it's overwhelming. It's awkward. Shoot, I'm a salesman, and I think sharing the gospel is a little bit awkward sometimes. It's inconvenient. It's comf- uncomfortable. But Paul says here that declaring and talking about Jesus is a role of the elders as well as a role of Christians. Paul is saying here is to share your faith. Yes, without holiness, no one will see God. Live it. Live that life for Jesus. But declaring Jesus is also part of it. Talk about why you live the way you live. Romans 10, 14 through 15. I love this passage. Um, I don't know if we got it up here. But uh, it says this. It says, how then... Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. When I I read this passage... I can't help but think Paul's being a little bit sarcastic here, right? It's, uh, he's saying, okay, in order for someone's heart to change, they're, they've got to hear something from someone else's mouth that came from someone else's body, from someone else's feet, coming from somewhere else. It's this idea that the heart is changed by words, and those words have power. It's crazy, but as we tie it back, the, the remedy, the peel for this spiritual cancer of really all of humanity lives in our lungs. We could talk about the gospel. That's extreme power. That's unbelievable power. And what Paul is saying is, is in order for someone to come to Christ, they have to hear have to hear it. And you know, I think about that, and I think, okay, I've got the cure to spiritual cancer, and I'm going to, I'm not going to share it because I'm a little bit uncomfortable. This is inconvenient. Well, I don't feel right. I don't like this. Man, it's like, oh my gosh. And Paul is 
but bringing it home to us here that, hey, you know what? You have the gospel, and the gospel has the power to change people's lives. And not just, not just the, the, uh, uh, the, the white people in, in, in Farragut, but everybody. Or white, white people in, in our little bubble here, but everyone, Jews and Greeks, in this diversity of believers. Paul is clearly running a different race than I am. As I look at it, I think, man, I am convicted. I, 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 my values don't seem to line up with the same that he's doing. And I'm inspired to live a better Christian life. Paul is clearly, like I said, running a different race. And he, and he, he kind of ties all this back to his life in perspective. And this is really kind of the, um, the meat and potatoes of all of Acts. Acts 20, 24 says this. And this is him putting his, life, his own life into perspective. He says, but I do not count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if I only may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. See, Paul is saying here, this is how he can live his life this way, is Number one, he's counting his life of no value. He, the priority that he once had on the life he's living is, is no longer there. His total focus is just to finish the course. The word precious assigns value here. It honors growth. It honors health. It honors life and prosperity. And he's saying that growth, worth, value, and meaning that he could benefit and enjoy and find happiness in in this world isn't his focus any longer. There has been a shift in his desire. Wealth is not it. Acclaim and pride is not it. It's literally finishing his course. The Greek word for course here is dromos, which means race or marathon. And what it's the same word, the same word in Hebrews where he says, lay off aside all distractions and run the race unimpeded. He's saying, hey, you know what here? Every distraction you got, every, everything in life that doesn't add value to this mission that you're on, lay it aside. I'm single-minded focused, and, and I want to finish this race. One of the guys that was at that banquet um, whenever I was a couple weeks back was a guy by the name of Matt Moore. Matt was uh, 10 years older than me, and whenever I was like 10 years old, um, watching uh, Livingston Academy play football, I would watch Matt play, and the next morning, you know, I would get up and I would be by myself and play, you know, play against shadows in the front yard acting like I was Matt Moore. Um, But Matt, Matt played his life or he played uh, football with a different type of mentality. He played with a reckless abandonment, and he sacrificed his body like nobody else. But everybody, all the little boys wanted to be him. And I think there is something attractive, especially spiritually attractive, and inspiring about that type of mindset. 
I'm going all in, 100%, not looking back, and I am going to accomplish the mission. That is inspiring, and I think that same mentality rests right here with Paul. It's like, man, I am no holds bar. I'm living my life recklessly abandoned to this mission, and I'm going to accomplish it, buddy. It's inspiring. It's also convicting. We see that uh, Paul is living with, uh, like I said, a reckless abandonment, and he is kind of calling his Ephesian elders to live the same. And so, kind of document where we've come from here. He's kind of said, live your life through trials with humility. He's said to declare the gospel to, to others. He's put his own life in perspective, and he's asking the same for us to live with, uh, without seeing value in this life but in the eternal. Now, how do we live? He turns and he shifts. You kind of felt it there, verse 28. There's a, there's a complete shift in his focus. No, it's no longer just the spiritual and ethereal, but the actual practical. And he says, the, he says there, verse 28, pay attention to yourselves and to your flock. Pay attention to yourselves and your flock. Jesus does this often in his gospels, and Paul's doing it here. He's, he's uh, uh, kind of referencing the church as a whole and us to sheep. Me and my wife, we lived in New Zealand for a, a, for a summer, a couple summers there, and one of the interesting things about sheep, there's a ton of them, sheep everywhere, sheep, I mean, there were a bunch. We, but they, they would talk about sheep, how dumb these animals were. Now, I, didn't, I knew there were some, they were dumb animals, but they didn't know really the extent of it. They will apparently just walk off a cliff and just die. If the cliff is, they don't see it, they'll just walk it off and walk off. They have to have a shepherd or a fence to keep them in. So Jesus, you know, comparing us to sheep, thank you, Jesus, uh, for, for the uh, compliment. But he's saying that I think it's a good understanding of who we are and our ability to are, are prone, that we are prone to wander, that we're prone to kind of go and live our own truth and live our own way. And Paul's saying here is for the elder be, pay attention to your flock. The greatest attribute of an elder, the greatest character traits of an elder for sure is character, but another one is attentiveness. He's, say, he's say, saying here that wolves, little wolves, can come in and kill your sheep, destroy your sheep. Of course, it's an analogy. The little sheep or the, the little wolves can be little white lies, bad doctrine, quarrelsome people, uh, uh, you know, people coming in to lead others astray. And pastor's role is to be attentive to understand when people are at risk. I want that type of pastor in my life. I don't know about you guys. I think we need it. The second thing he says to do, live this way, he says, don't be distracted by silver, gold, or apparel. Sounds like that old Jay-Z song, that Holy Grail song where he, where he says, we're all addicted to shiny things. It's, 
this idea of everybody wants more and this greediness, a pastor is supposed to live above reproach and, be, and live in a way that is, that, that is not um, addicted to things of this world. And I love that word there, that distracted word. It, it, this, these elders are focused, the idea of being focused on the eternal and not the here and now. The third thing he says, that, says the way to live for these elders is to work hard for righteousness. Work hard for righteousness. It's this, the root word of righteous is right. The, 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 the character qualities of, a, of an elder should have this idea of fairness and just, and, and looking at the Savior and saying, what, would, what, is, what does Christ want me to live and how does Christ want me to live and, and really carry out those qualities of fairness even throughout the body. And it says it is work. Work hard for righteousness. Fourth thing, it says it is more blessed to give than to receive. In the ESV version, it's red-lettered, which helps guys like me. I, 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 I realize the red letters is Jesus' words, and so helps, helps uh, uh, guys who struggle with reading uh, like myself. But it's saying here that your life needs to be defined as someone who gives their life away, just like Jesus. The main idea of this passage is that in, in order for these things to be carried out, you have to cling to the gospel. You have to be empowered by his word. The elders of our church and the elders of the church at large has to be empowered by the gospel. In order to give more than you receive, you've got to understand what's been given to you. Understand that the sinfulness that you've lived with forever has been paid for. That the, the crimson stain of your life has been wiped away. And the God who has called you to eldership, the God that's called you to even as a, to be a Christian, has paid the debt that you could not pay. It's clinging to that gospel that, that empowers us, that fire to this kindling that's around it. So I asked you a question, do I need a pastor? Well, you guys are, you guys are dumb sheep apparently, and I am too. We all need a pastor. 